This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today we have a really interesting show um, with my good friend, Mr. Mike Pagan. Now, Mike has been in the world of mental well-being, mental wealth. He has a background in sports and sports coaching. And what's really interesting about Mike is he's got an not only he's gotten a, a years and years of experience here in in this uh, in, on this topic, but he's also create he's the expert in, uh, in in the creator of mental wealth. He's a coach. He's the author of four different books, which you can check out on Amazon or check out the links below. Of course, he's also a mastermind facilitator for companies that want to help remove isolation in the workplace so that their employees can become more happier, healthier, more productive. So um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about mental wealth. We're going to be talking about self-care. We're going to be talking, we're going to give you some frameworks and some strategies about how you can effectively put it into your own business. So, uh, So without further ado, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. Yep, excited. It's that time of day where uh, talking to you, I know full well, I'm not going to be allowed any sort of waffle space. Um, and the, the, the challenge will be there. We'll have some fun. and We'll give some nice ideas out there. Isn't the theory. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, you would have heard quite a few of my uh, shows. I'm very kind of clear cut and cut to the chase. And our audience knows I'm a, I'm a bit of a a bit of a black and white type of person when it comes to this kind of thing, but you know, uh, but you know, it's all about having fun, but listen, um, I know that you've been in the world. I, I know that you've got a great picture of you swimming. The, was it, is that the English channel, by the way? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm mad, not crazy. Cause it was a relay. So I, I don't ah. or it might be crazy, not mad. I don't know which way around it is. Got but, it. Uh, so, so I've done part of, but either way, it still states channel swimmer. <laughs> and more people have climbed Everest than have swum the English Channel. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, I, I never really understood the fascination of swimming the English Channel. I've never really been a, a strong swimmer as such. You know what I mean? Like for me, as you know, my background was always in running, uh, which, which was far much more uh, interesting from an endurance perspective. But I could never, ever be like a fish, I reckon, if they reincarnated me. So uh... <laughs> it, it, it depends on your body because I have uh, I'm an ex rugby player. So I have uh, rugby mm. knees that don't enjoy running. Ah, um, so okay. uh, the, the idea of doing any fell running and stuff like that, I've tried and it hurts too much. So, yeah. yeah so in swimming, very different game for me. You know, actually, it's interesting. Um, everyone would because i'm i'm a big believer i like to really challenge myself and and you're a big but you love challenging yourself as well as and, and as well as endorsing challenges everyone kept on saying to me they're like hey adam you want to do like triathlons and stuff and i'm like no not really because like the swimming part of it i'm just i'm just not particularly good at so i don't know if i told you actually on uh before but i actually took up adventure racing so i've done a couple of adventure racing which is for you guys that don't know what adventure racing is by the way it is trail running it is mountain biking and is kayaking so those are kind of like quite 
they're very strong activities to me, but it also uh, is a combination of like orienteering as well, which is kind of cool. So that's the fun part of it. Have you ever done that, by the way? It's, it's I love the concept of it. And when I've tried it, I just, it's the fell running kills me. Yeah. I, I just, I, I can kayak, I can swim, I can uh, bike ride, I can do what, but then suddenly I, I, I did one in Scotland a couple of years ago and uh, we were up and down seven Munros. It took me <laughs> so many hours and I was just had tears pouring down my face because I was just in that much pain sliding down on my bum off the side of this oh, mountain. Oh, Jesus. Well, that's... <laughs> Well, that I'm sure I'm sure that was uh, I'm sure that was great for the audience uh, and the participants watching. But uh, anyways, <laughs> anyway, hey, listen, I, I like to be honest. <laughs> absolutely. Well, listen, let's crack into this conversation because. Uh, um, but let's talk a little bit about uh, mental wealth and how what is it and how did you discover it? I'd love to know more about that. OK, well, just this, the first starting line is obviously mental wealth is a play on the phrase mental health. Right. Uh, but but I am not a mental health expert or a counsellor. My focus is on having the right support network around people that's fit for purpose for the way forward. Because what, one of the things that we, we, we've all discovered, and this has been absolutely um, uh, uh, just manifested so heavily through the, the lockdowns and COVID and everything else, is the, the challenges around isolation. Yeah. Because for, for me, isolation kills creativity, prevents decision making. And it's an indirect or direct response of that. We go into that negative spiral of procrastination, uh, lack of performance, lack of delivery, which can then have a detrimental effect on our mental health and where we're going. Mm. And there are certain parts in America, certain states in America, where they actually have procrastination down as an illness really? because it causes stress. Wow. So it's the, the, the symptoms of procrastination. Um, and so it, you start to see from that perspective, when we're not making decisions, then we're not moving forward. But the, the flip side of that is not making a decision is a decision to accept the status quo. But isn't uh, uh, procrastination also linked to fear, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that kind of like you mentioned, you know, you talk about isolation, the fear of isolation, the fear of loneliness, right? I suppose that's what it really kind of links to, right? Well, yeah, but I, isolation hits in so many different ways. Whether you are the a solopreneur, or you're the chief executive of a multi-million uh, dollar business, uh, you're at the top of your tree. Mm. Um, and, you're, and the issue here is you, you'll never tell a stakeholder you don't know the answer. <laughs> uh, you're not going to tell a co-director you're not sure what to do next. Your husband or wife hasn't got a clue what you do, really. Uh, your friends in the running club or wherever it happens to be or the school gate always say, I'll oh, just go for it, Adam. You always land on your feet. And you're never going to tell an employee you're not sure what to do next. So straight away, you are in an isolated position, whether that be with five employees or 55,000 employees. Yeah. Uh, you, you, uh, that straight away puts you in a position of weakness and vulnerability. But hold on a second, we can't be weak, we can't be vulnerable, and we're not allowed to ask for, uh, ask for help because that puts us in a bad situation. And so we'd, we'd need to understand that actually uh, where our isolation comes from and what we can do with it and how we can get the right people around us so they will help us overcome that and make better decisions. It's interesting because, I mean, humans, us human beings, you know, we're social animals, you know, we need to have that kind of regular conversation. We need to have that, um, I suppose, that, um, I was going to say, that belongingness, right? Even if it is kind mm. of like having 
contact with family members or friends or peers or whatever it might be but you know human beings need that do you know what i mean it's and it's it's interesting I, even me like I, I i can i can thrive when i'm in isolation but not for long periods of time only for short periods of time i don't know about you but i, I well you know, it, it, it varies this this comes back to the personality types and whether people are more extrovert or introverted right. whether they need lots of other people to bounce ideas off um again referring back to the, the pandemics and so on there are certain people who love the fact they weren't allowed to go out anymore because they didn't have to go and make small talk with strangers <laughs> in rooms <laughs> and then then the flip side of that you have other uh, online platforms that uh, arrived and stayed around for a little while and then disappeared but they were all filled with extroverts shouting at each other yeah uh, because that was uh, they needed interaction and it's it's knowing where we work and building that team around us that, that, that works. I mean, one, one of the key things I've done over the years is I had the privilege of working with a number of professional elite sportsmen and women as they transition to their life after their professional career. And, and part, one of the big learnings in that environment was there were 35 people keeping that individual on the track in the pool or on the pitch yesterday. The guillotine comes down and those 35 people are no longer fit for purpose for the way forward. So suddenly they've gone from being supported all over the place to who, who am I now? Where am I going? And how am I going to get there? Um, and uh, I mean, there's, there's much more to this than, than what I'm saying at the moment, but it's just that, that transition space. And for, for all of us in, in, as business leaders, as, as, as parents, as, as human beings, uh, we are transitioning repeatedly throughout our lives. And we need to purposefully and intentionally select the people around us that are going to help us on that way. And at, at points in time, we have to let people go because we need the 2.0, we need the 3.0, we need the next version of that individual who's going to be right for the way forward rather than us having an overbearing loyalty. I'm not saying dump old friends, but there are certain people that we evolve from and we need to move forward because that will give us more, more, more strength, more mental wealth, more, 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 um, uh, cleverness more uniqueness more pertinent theory that's going to work for you you know here's an interesting thought here and and again i'm sure these are this is probably a common question that you'll probably get often asked you know you'll get leaders that are listening to this right this conversation between me and you and they're like yeah i know all of this right this is this is this is not rocket science but the reality is is you know you're going to get personalities or leaders of personalities that think that they can do it all themselves, right? And they can go on and be Mr. Invincible. And it's like, yeah, I know all of this kind of stuff. It's have this kind of attitude of like arrogance type of thing, you know, it's never going to happen to me, you know, and that kind of stuff. Uh, any advice for people in, in, in that? Because, you know, I think it's, uh, I used to think that, right? I used to think that I was Mr. Invincible and, and to, until, you know, one day, uh, you know, things are, hit me really hard and it affected my mental well-being more than anything else but I, I guess it wasn't it didn't really occur to me until things really changed and I suppose you know I, I think leaders in, in particular um, and in you know people listening to us this is that they people feel like you know, you can get away with a lot and take your life uh, health for granted until something actually dramatically happens in your life do you know what I mean Mike and this, and this is where um, in, in the world of self-care and so on, people, right. people are waiting for that, uh, uh, that, 
that eureka moment or that epiphany where something happens and uh, and it could be a health scare it could be a, a, a family scare it could be and suddenly okay I'm, i stop smoking i stop drinking i stop whatever else uh, but but for all that time up to that i'm, I'm bulletproof and i can handle it mm-hmm. but but the the other side of this that goes on is when, we, when we're considering what's going on inside the head um there, there are people who are sort of just getting by uh, we're avoiding um, situations. We've got telltale signs. We know things that aren't right, but we're not uh, we're not dealing with it. Uh, and then suddenly to go into that spiral. Uh, un- unfortunately, the story I'm about to tell you is not unique to me. But when I was writing the book on mental wealth, uh, I lost a friend to suicide. Uh, he was going through an ugly divorce, estranged from his son, plus the pandemic. He was an intelligent man. Um, doing very well in his business and his organization he's part of etc etc he knew what he was doing but the monsters in his head were too loud and they they and and they and hence he took his life it this is a story that is all too familiar too many people are going through that uh he did have good people around him uh so whether or not it was his team was wrong but it's somebody asking the right question on the right time at the right day um because we can go on to just Keep on going, keep on going, because we think we're bulletproof. Because we're, uh, my 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 children are young adults nowadays, and I know full well that they, in their minds, are totally bulletproof, um, and they will continue to. And, and as age comes along, then you said get a little bit wiser. Um, the, the the insurance salesman that says, yeah, you should have uh, critical life cover, and you should have uh, um, uh, uh, all, all these other sort of insurances, and you're thinking, no, I'll never need that, and then suddenly. This year, as, as per a conversation we had before we started recording, both of us have lost several people this year in our networks, yeah. um, and none of them were old people. Um, and that, that's the scary reality. So without getting too heavy, we don't know how long we've got. So let's make the most of the time we have. Let's get the right people around us that are asking better questions than we are of ourselves to make sure that we're achieving that. And when we're in business and we're there, we need to know uh, that we're doing right by ourselves, but we're also doing right by others. Because one of the massive evolutions over the last 10, 15 years is that well-being is uh, no longer fluffy nonsense. It's not <laughs> something that businesses can avoid because it was always intangible. But actually, that process has changed and businesses have had to grow up and realize that we need to look after the mental health of our staff. We need to have well-being. Flogging people to death in businesses, doing uh, 80, 90 hours a week, uh, they're, they're not going to last long. They'll burn out and they'll leave. Yeah. We have to look after our individuals that work with us as much as we have to look after ourselves. And I think, uh, you know, I remember, <clears throat> and, and I completely understand where you're coming from on this, because about probably about six, eight years ago, I was in, involved in the corporate wellbeing space, similar to yourself. And um, what's really interesting is... I, it's all about people's attitudes. Uh, I find that if I'm dealing with a business leader, one of the things that you're going to come up against, and you probably would have come across, you know, what's the ROI of this? What's this? You know, talk about the money. Where's the money? Where's, what's the money? How am I going to make the money type of thing, right? But actually, it's more than just making money. You know, mental health is not just about making money. It's you have to use different scales. Well, I find you have to use different scales, whether it be, you know, how happy, how satisfied, how productive, how, um, and how that translates into bottom line, uh, sort of bottom line uh, tail and statistics, it, you know, 
I think that people can become, <clears throat> a lot of leaders can become a little bit, uh, not just shallow, but a kind of uh, a bit small minded. Do you know what I mean, Mike? Yeah. And, and, and the twist I put into there is grumpy, burned out, miserable employees uh, don't <laughs> perform. <laughs> they, they get through. There's, there's, a, there's a terrible business school nonsense word called satisficing. Um, it is a genuine one uh, and it's uh, literally that word describes the individuals that do enough not to get into trouble but also not to be seen above the parapet so they're sort of they're in that gray zone of mediocrity Um, and as long as I'm not overperforming to get given more work or underperforming so I get disciplined then I can I can be invisible in that environment Uh, and there are always going to be people like that sadly uh, but it's it's how do we motivate? How do we challenge? How do we get those on there? And it's it's understanding how to recruit the right people. Yes, we that that that's a that's a given. But the other flip side of that is how do we reboot? How do we revitalize? And how do we re-energize on a day by day, on a week by week basis to make sure that uh, we are a, a, a better part of our game? And I, the key thing I'm, I'm focused on here it's not perfection. And I know you you you're a big fan of this. This is about being there more of the time, most of the time, because perfection is always lying yourself up for failure because uh, it, it just doesn't exist. But 100%. if our performance is there, we're, we're averaging fourth gear or 4.2 um, rather than 2.2, uh, then our performance, our productivity, we are there 70, 80 percent of the time rather than 20 to 30. Do you um, and this is a, a really interesting question, and maybe these are this this question would go back to some of the conversations that you've had with some of your clients, and um, I think what I've seen in the kind of the business world now is this kind of shift to showing vulnerability, especially amongst leaders, and how that kind of translates that and relates that back to mental wealth. Have you found a shift yourself? And, and if so, what shift have you found uh, during that? It's, it, well, it's, it's back to that level on humanity. Yeah. Um, uh, pe- people will work for you. you the, the new generations are coming through now. OK, I'm I'm I'm, I'm north of 21. So uh, I, I can <laughs> I can see I can reflect back. But but I but I know that my children in their 20s. Uh, they, they will not work for certain organizations that don't care. They will not work for uh, narcissistic uh, control freak bullies uh, that used to be around 30 years ago. Um, they, it just it, it's not on their radar. They won't work in organizations where that sort of uh, modality is in play. True. So therefore, they want to work with somebody who's going to inspire them, who's going to look after the planet, who has a good conscience, who uh, et, cetera, et cetera. And it's not to say they need to be. Uh, soft or anything foolish like that because that's going back to the old language of uh, it fluffy no yeah. it it needs to be they genuinely care they deliver what they say they're up against and they're organizations that they want to stick to i mean one, one of my favorite companies on the planet at the moment and it has been for a long time is uh, the patagonia mm. uh, the, the clothing manufacturers yeah, and everything yeah. else. And, and i believe a story again it's a story so please uh, challenge me if you wish uh, but uh, the Black Friday deals in, in 2021, uh, they promoted as all did, but they donated all of their income from that Black Friday um, to, to their causes. Fantastic. So even so all, all the ramp up of sales and nonsense and everything that people do, they put all of that money straight across because they, they work on the philosophy of work hard, get lost. Yeah, work hard, go to the mountains. 
Yeah. Go and play. And, and that's the absolute philosophy I, I really hone in. I want people, I want people to work less in it in terms of hours, but me more productive in the time that they're there so they can then go and play. And, and, and that self-care element of me, me doing my channel swims and stuff like that, that's all part of my methodology for uh, mindfulness. I, I cannot sit still to do meditation and mindfulness. <laughs> I, either, uh, I, either, I either fidget or I fall asleep. Uh, actually what i learned was i do active mindfulness stroke after stroke you're climbing up a hill or a mountain uh you're, you're doing you're cycling the repetitive cumulative activity that gets you into a position of flow and when you're totally tuned out there that's where the uh, little light bulbs go on and they're brilliant and then suddenly you're in a different space uh, so for me yeah it's, it's a way that i look after myself by doing it and and it's being selfish yeah, we, we have to make ourselves number one. It's said by so many people nowadays, yeah. but number one is not a bad place. I was always number six in my family. Why three kids and a dog? Um, and, and, and recently eight puppies as well. But that's another story. Um, but, but nowadays, no, the focus has to be when we're number one, then we're able to achieve. We're able to look after those around us, be that thousands of employees uh, or your partner or whoever else it happens to be. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so, um, so here's a really interesting question. And I mean, we talk about, you know, we live, um, we, most of us generally live a very busy life, busy habits, busy behaviors, um, you know, and even though we're kind of living more in what I call a hybrid way of working, most people's lives are generally pretty hectic, but how can we balance the mental wealth aspect into a daily routine, uh, not kind of changing too much otherwise we, we become very overwhelmed but any thoughts there mike I, you, you've highlighted a word in in that description there of habits um, and, and one of the things that i i'm guilty of and many of my clients have been over the years it's like the uh, tendency to self-sabotage <laughs> yeah um <laughs> we, we we know what we do but we still do it anyway or yeah. we know what we should be doing but we're not going to do it yeah um and this is where I, I believe having the coach works uh, in the sporting arena. The coach sees the things you do that prevents you from being brilliant. Um, and in a, in a business environment, in a personal environment, when we have a coach who's asking better questions of us that, that we are either afraid to ask, are trying to avoid asking or are avoiding answering and they don't let it go. Um, so, I mean, my coach is a psychologist as well as a coach. Uh, which is really annoying because he knows I'm lying before I've even opened my mouth, <laughs> <laughs> which, which doesn't help. But but the reality around that is then these these habits of what we're doing and we get to see the traits um, and it's just giving somebody permission to call us out uh, because when when you're in that bulletproof zone, you, you, you don't listen to anybody. You're not looking for support or help or advice because you think you know it all. Uh, then you get into a vulnerable position where the wheels have come off and we need support from others and we don't know where we're going. We're not quite sure what's causing our, our, our illnesses, our challenges or our lack of delivery and performance. Yeah. And that's where the external person where you've been open, honest and vulnerable uh, will come in and answer those questions. It's, it's like it's, um, uh, it's, when it comes to finances, um, most people in the Western world do not know what their parents earn or earned and in turn their parents do not know what they earn or earned yeah. 
So if we cannot be financially naked and vulnerable with our own kin, how are we ever going to be financially vulnerable to a point of knowing and understanding what we're doing? True. And so when part of our professional team that we need would obviously, I would advocate um, having a, a wealth management team in there of some sort. They ask questions that you cannot get away from. They ask questions that put you on the spot. Is that helping you get nearer or further away from where we're trying to get to financially? Um, and I know that I've had a bad people in my network doing that before because I've made a horrendous decisions. I've invested badly at times. I've invested very well at times. Um, and as a result of that, the, the scars are still there. You're in Cyprus at the moment. We <laughs> talked before, I have a property in Cyprus that took me 15 years to complete on. And as a utter nightmare in every way and all of that came because i didn't take the independent legal advice that would have cost me a few hundred and it in turn it cost me tens of thousands as a result of my stupidity naivety whatever you want to call it um, and this is why we need these external people who ask better questions from a different skill set that we have ourselves true love it very good um what's going to say um on the subject of, I suppose, leaders as such, um, how did, should leaders support their employees, even themselves, in terms of self-care, empowering self-care? You know, is there any sort of techniques or advice that you give to leaders and say, you know, if you see someone uh, going through a tough time, you know, I'm sure that there has been some different scenarios that you've come across. Is there any uh, any thoughts there at all? Yeah, I mean, the, the key thing is is giving people time. Uh, we have to give people time. And it's, uh, there, there will always be the outliers. Now, this, this is one of the fears of a lot of leaders is that, yeah, but people will just take the mickey with it. They'll, they'll, they'll abuse it. Um, and I'm sorry to say there will always be that very, very small percentage that have got that scope in them. Yeah. All right. But, but, but do we want to pl placate for that very small minority rather than the majority that categorically could do with and benefit from our support and help. Sure. And, and I would say that if, if you're building an organization where people are going to want to join, are going to be wanting to be part of it and are going to stay with you for the long term, then yeah, you're going to have the odd glitch of an employee who does, who's in that minority sector. Fine. They'll, they'll come and they will go. That's part of a, the evolution of a business. Whereas the ones that you want to be looking after, um, it could be a health scare. It could be a family scare. It could just be the wheels have come off. They, they've lost their mojo. Well, let's give them the support and the time. Let's give them the access to the well-being. Let's give them the access to a peer support group, a mastermind group. Because I know we're both massive fans of that environment. Um, it, and it's putting them in a situation where they can be open, honest and vulnerable. Uh, but it's done in confidence. Because one of the biggest fears of, of uh, be that as an employee or as an individual is what you say gets becomes common knowledge. Um, so I don't want to be open because if somebody else knows that that's the way I feel, uh, then um, I'm, uh, people will laugh or people will take the mickey or the, they'll sack me because of it, whatever it is. And we, uh, when we suddenly create that confidential support environment for employees and for ourselves, then we can start asking better questions because it's in confidence. So uh, people aren't afraid of answering 
they know it's not going anywhere but it becomes almost like a counseling session to, to one extreme level but it's not it's that support that asks better questions than we ask of ourselves yeah very good love it now i know that um i was going to say in terms of uh mental wealth and and uh whether it be on an individual or working with companies uh and that kind of stuff is there a particular framework that you um use in terms of like helping um helping people to i suppose embrace mental wealth is a is, is there a framework that you've created at all yeah there's well the, the, the starting point is, is the baseline and it's uh, i refer to it, it's called a mental wealth scorecard uh, and it's all about uh, it's totally subjective it's not scientific okay so before people think oh yes and how does that work no no <laughs> this is what i want you to do is i want, want want your listeners to create a list of all the people you believe have got your back yeah so in your support network at the moment got it. so just a list of, of, of names i mean it could be from the dentist to a business coach to a, a performer whatever it is people who got your back and it literally just writing them down. And mm. for some people, you write down seven names. For others, you might get 27 or even more. Yeah. Uh, and it's just yeah. creating that list. And I've repeated that statement several times because I know people are already writing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you write that list down. And now the, the, the simple challenge is to score them. And again, this is subjective, not scientific, where one is a low score, 10 is a high score. And just and don't think I've got to be nice because it's Adam, so I've got to give him a higher score. Just <laughs> score what your gut feel is saying to you, uh, and then just write those all down. And the, the and the scoring is simple here. Uh, just to translate it, if you scored somebody a one, two, or a three, they know you. They're an acquaintance. Yeah. That's it. They haven't got your back. They they know you. Yeah. If you've scored somebody a four or a five, they know you because of a reason. Uh, there's a situation it could be to do with business colleague it could be sport it could be school it could be church it could be whatever else you're involved in uh, but they so they know however if, if you're not there for two months and then you come back they'll be really pally and chirpy uh, and well where have you been oh I broke my leg oh I didn't know that yeah they're not going to ring you in between then your fives and sixes now a lot of these people are your closest friends they, you, you go to birthdays, weddings, bar mitzvahs, uh, whatever it else it happens to be. Yeah. Um, however, you're not comfortable being vulnerable, open and naked with them, be that in a financial, emotional or mental way. Got it. Those are your eight, nines and tens. The people you scored eight, nines and tens are the ones that fit in your mental wealth team. And for some listeners, uh, there will be one or two names there. Others, there may be five or even ten. Yep. If you've got more than 10 to 15 there already, either you're doing very well and getting your support network or you've overscored people because you didn't want to be nasty. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, but it's the eight, nines and tens that matter. And it's knowing that uh, just, I mean, even in a family situation, there are members of a family who might score you as a 12 out of 10 because that you mean that much to them. Yes. But as far as your mental wealth team, for me, it might only be a six or a seven. Uh, so it doesn't have to be balanced. Got it. And then, then what we do is we that gives you a baseline. You get you get a score. You add up those numbers that were in the eight nines and tens, and, and if you've scored eighteen or if you've scored uh, forty seven, whatever it is, what we need to do by building up through self care, through your coach, through your men, uh, your professional team, and your mastermind group, we build multiple members of that team, which suddenly gets us to five, ten, twelve people 
and you start to score 70s, 80s, 90s, or even over 100. Yeah. But it's intentionally selecting the people you want in that team going forward yeah. that are fit for purpose for you, not just uh, an out-of-date loyalty to somebody you knew three years ago who was really nice then. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, that's good. I, I like that. It's a, it's a good good thing. I like the old scorecard thing. Um, and the, regard- fact it's, the fact it's subjective as well means that we're not putting science in there. It's just my gut feel is this is how I am today. And in three or four months' time, you do it again and suddenly realise, oh, actually, Bob is no longer on that list. I was right. He really didn't have my back. So when you're, when, when you're say, for example, you had mentioned five, ten people have got between score between eight nine or ten what you're saying is yeah. those are effectively like your your mental wealth team is what you what you're referring to is that correct yes. so those are the people yeah. that you can go to and can find in and have conversations with and you know feel a bit vulnerable and that kind of stuff is that what you're saying totally okay because cool. uh, because because you are comfortable with them and you know that they they respect you. They yeah. uh, they will keep your trust. They will keep your confidence, yeah. uh, and they will give you great advice and challenge the hell out of what you're trying to do. Love it. Very cool. Now you um, also create or what what facilitate and create uh, mastermind groups. We were talking about this offline, but you you do a lot of it for businesses, don't you? And business leaders. Can you just tell us a little yeah. bit more about that and how? how businesses effectively use that because effectively it's like a it's like a framework right you're giving them a you're giving them this idea of um running a mastermind groups for for internally within their business or whatever it might be to for the benefit of of their health happiness and productivity but just tell us a little bit more about how that works yeah i mean a lot of businesses are are used to creating project teams to yes. work on project yeah. X. We, we're going to launch this in six months time. So we need somebody from this group, this group, this group, and that group. And they, they create a project team and they meet once a week and everything else. All right. Uh, so, so that's uh, to, to deliver a product or a project. Yeah. Let's take that language now and put it in a different environment about where we're asking better questions of each other, but it's not towards making a, a project or a product. This is about looking out for each other and helping them achieve and helping them um, uncover with their mojo and how their direction. And it's it's one of those things, because just to go one step back, for, for me, masterminding, the thing I love about masterminding is the Americans claim that they invented it. Sorry for Americans listening, <laughs> you didn't. It's Napoleon Hill in Think and Grow Rich did not invent it. It goes back to the 1760s in Birmingham in the UK. And there was an association called the Lunar Society that was set up. And it had people like Erasmus Darwin and Matthew Bolton that were uh, luminaries of their day. Yes. And they would meet under the light of the full moon, hence the Lunar Society, because they had to meet in secret, as a lot of what they were talking about was during the Industrial Revolution and was pushing the boundaries of uh, technology in those days, but also pushing the boundaries of religion. So they were flirting with heresy and others. Uh-huh. And this was all of them uh, worked in different areas, different sectors, but they came together to create this, this sort of seven minds is definitely better than one alone. Mm. And they ask better questions and challenge each other. Now, take that philosophy and put that into your organization where you've got six, seven people meeting 
um, and they, whether it be facilitated externally or somebody in, internally chairs it, I, I find the external facilitator asks better questions and makes it more brutal and, yes. and the accountability gets more painful because this is one of the key parts out of it. At the end of anybody's time in the hot seat where I've got a problem, a challenge or an opportunity, I need some support. Everybody else is asking. At the end of that, that person will turn around and say, before we next meet, be that in a week, in a month, whatever the, the, the uh, regular uh, timescale is, I commit to doing A, B and C. And at the, that next meeting, the first thing that started up with is commitments from the previous meeting, people demonstrating that they've done what they're doing. And even if that means you doing it at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> the morning of the next meeting, that doesn't matter. It's done. It's got a tick in the box. Because yep. failing to deliver, failing to be held accountable in a mastermind group is not allowed. Uh, the accountability is the is the the, the black and white. You, okay, you failed this month. Do it again next month, and you leave the group because yep. you're disrespecting everybody else in the room, and you're not giving it what's needed. So if you can't be bothered to turn up on our advice, then I can't be bothered to give you anything more. Yep. So that that accountability is so powerful and so brutal. Love it, love it. Some very cool stuff there. Well, listen, um, um, we're coming towards the end of our interview and, uh, and we've, we've covered a lot of ground, whether it be mental wealth, whether it be health and well-being, health, happiness, performance, productivity. Um, any final thoughts of, uh, based on our conversation? Because a lot of, lot of information to take in and, you know, some people might be thinking, okay, well, this sounds really interesting. And, you know, um, but any final thoughts there, Mike? There's a, a couple of things that really come into, one is that, that, uh, mental wealth team scorecard i described yes go and spend more time on it uh, and just get an assessment of where you are to understand who really has your back because quite often people are surprised there was a lady uh, in an audience who turned around and said i spend my whole life giving uh, this is what i do uh, but actually the number of people in my back uh, who have my back i have zero at the moment wow. and uh, i mean she was in a properly uh, epiphany moment of I'm I'm just giving to everybody. Nobody is looking out for me. Wow. Um, so that was so that is a reality that can come from this. The other part of this is as we build that support team around us, we can make braver decisions. Mm -hmm. We can make uh, we can have more fun because mm -hmm. suddenly we know what journey we're on. We've got other people asking better questions, and so actually we can perform better and and uh, create situations where we go and do more self-care and yes. we make it work for us. And that, that suddenly kicks in. And, th and the final area, which I, I always like to sort of uh, come to give out towards the end of um, uh, an interview like this is, uh, and this is just focused on uh, good humanity. Mm. Um, and the simple question is, if your gut feel is telling you that you haven't spoken to or heard from somebody recently, I do not want you to text them or send them a social media tweak or like or whatever else. I want you to pick up the phone and ring them. Yeah. Or if you live nearby, go and see them. Uh, towards the end of last year, uh, fortunately, one of my son's friends was unsuccessful in a suicide attempt. On the morning after this happened, my mate that lives in America um, rang out of the blue. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and he just sort of, I said, hold on a second, pause. Before you tell me anything else, we do our normal pleasantries, because we talk three or four times a year. Sure. Uh, why have you rung me this morning? 
And he said, that's a really weird introduction and a <laughs> greeting. I said, no, no, there's serious reason behind this. Why have you rung me this morning? Tell me, Bok, what was it that triggered? And we spent a few minutes going backwards and forwards. Uh, and we couldn't come up with it. Aside of it was just his intuitive gut feel said, I need to ring Mike. Because Bok is the head of A&E at a hospital in Pennsylvania. He just finished the night shift and was driving home at 5 a.m. in the morning and thought, I'm going to ring Mike. I was able to talk through with him everything that happened overnight. Yes. I was able to talk through what had happened with this particular young man and give his parents inside information and knowledge that they couldn't get from other people who weren't giving it to them clearly. Wow. I categorically needed that phone call that day so that I could help other people as a result of it. Interesting. So my, the, there are people going through absolute hell on earth at the moment. Yes. And if we can pick up the phone and make a difference by making that one phone call, then potentially we will become part of their mental wealth team and help them grow. But it also will help them feel less isolated because other people care. And we all care. We just need to get off our bum and do that little bit more. Yep. When the gut feel says, go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. If you want to get to know Mike a bit more, then please do me a favor. Click on his links and the links are all below. You can also check out his books, which are available on Amazon as well. And I think probably the best way to get hold of Mike is probably on LinkedIn because he's pretty active on LinkedIn anyway. And just again, put a personal message, say that you've listened to us on the Game Changers experience and he can put two and two together. And I'm sure that'll be more than happy to have a conversation with you guys. So uh, Mike, just want to say thanks very much for uh, having you on the show today. No, thank you very much. It's been fun, Adam. Thank you for having faith in me to, uh, to share me with your audience. Fantastic. Listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today and uh, hopefully we'll see you again on the next Game Changers experience. Take care. And from me and Mike, see you soon. Cheers now. Hey guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Game Changers Experience. I would be gratefully appreciated if you could leave a good or a bad review, it doesn't matter, one or a five-star review, whichever you prefer, on any of the platforms, whether it be on Apple, whether it be on Spotify, Podchaser, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care, see you soon, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care, see you soon.